Beauty is booming. In 2022, the global beauty market, defined as skincare, fragrance, makeup, and hair care, was valued at 430 billion in revenue, according to consultants at McKinsey. It's expected to reach 580 billion by 2027. While this explosion in consumption provides enormous opportunity, it also presents beauty brands and retailers with a number of challenges, particularly within the supply chain. Inefficiencies in the supply chain and overproduction can lead to wasted product before it even reaches the retailer, let alone the consumer. While excess or impractical packaging and part use product means a buildup of waste on the consumer side. Not only is this bad news for the planet, it also puts pressure on profit margins. To look at how beauty can address these issues, the industry.beauty has teamed up with globally renowned materials science and supply chain solutions expert Avery Dennison on this indispensable series of podcasts. In each episode, I, Loretta Roberts, editor-in-chief of the industry.beauty, will speak to an expert at Avery Dennison and a leader of a beauty brand who will share their experiences and advice to help others in the market. For our first episode in the series, we are tackling the topic of trust in data to balance the stock. Because the first place to start on your journey towards supply chain efficiency is taking stock of exactly what you make, exactly where it is, and exactly which channels it is being sold through. First up, we hear from Avery Dennison, Senior Director of Market Development, Uwe Hennig, and once Uwe has shared his words of wisdom, we'll speak to the co-founder of Balance Me, Claire Hopkins, on how this highly successful British brand has built its business sustainably and how it's working across its supply chain to minimise its impact on the planet. Uwe, warm welcome to the podcast. What a pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you for joining us. Listen, before we get on to our topic in hand, I wonder if you could just please tell us a little bit about yourself and your role within Avery Dennison. My role in Avery Dennison, uh, my team is working with retailers, brand owners around digital transformation. Um, The solutions we are bringing to market ensures at the end of the day that inventory data is correct and products are traced along the whole value chain. And, you know, in the today's world of sustainability and omnichannel, data from the product and its journey um, is, is critical. As, as this data hits almost every system at a retail and a brand owner, this data is needed to drive less waste, higher consumer satisfaction. Uh, we are mainly working in uh, apparel retail, beauty and cosmetic retail, as well just started in food and general retail. Well, you sound like then you are the perfect man to answer all of the questions that I have today since we're talking about trusting in data and balancing our stock levels. Um, as we're recording this, we're, we're in the midst of plastic-free July and there is a very big spotlight being shone in particular on the beauty industry and the waste that it generates. When you're talking to beauty brands, which you do as part of your job, how much of a concern is it for them, just the issue of waste in general? Getting the supply chain more sustainable is, I would say, on the top of the agenda of all those companies. It It, it is very clear that the consumer has changed and, and the consumer wants to know more about the impact of a product, the, the production of its product, the journey the product has taken till it's in the hand of the consumer, what, what impact does it have to the environment? People now understand that 
products are made in one part of the world, then they're traveling. There's a lot of different ingredients that has also an impact on to the environment, the transport, how to dispose it. Uh, hopefully, uh, maybe they can recycle it. So the consumer has completely changed. The consumer wants to know much more. And, and just remember, in 2021, the U.S. government uh, launched this Cosmetic Supply Chain Transparency Act. So now there's also legislation coming. In Europe, similar comes things like the digital product passport. What, what drives really C-level people at those brands, they, they, they understand they need more transparency. They need more information. So at the end of the day, when you talk information transparency, you talk about data. And, and that is what, 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 where we are taking care of. Yeah, well, you're you're certainly the experts in that, and I think one of the big generators of waste, as we see it in the beauty industry, which is where your data, I dare say, comes in very, very, um, very key, is out of stock product. You know, we think about that more in the food industry, and that's the market you're getting into. But in beauty, it's huge, isn't it? A lot of product just is laid to waste within the supply chain because it hasn't got out to the stores in time. I mean, how do you work with a business to ensure that that product gets through quickly, gets sold in the right order almost? Yeah, this, you know, this, this is exactly one of the biggest problem this industry has. And, and it comes back to what I said in the beginning. Um, having accurate inventory data now becomes critical. Uh, you know, over 10% of beauty and pers- personal care products going to waste. So they're never ending up in your bathroom or somewhere, 10%. Imagine how big this is. And it's not only the loss of sale or revenue impact, it's an impact to the environment. So so loss of inventory per year and overproduction is 6.2% in the beauty industry. And just to give a number, this equals 2.9 billion US dollars. Imagine what you could do with that money, not only as a revenue or, or profit, but also for other, other nice things for the environment. But it, it goes back to some very basic things. If you don't know what you have in detail and you don't know where it is, in which location in your supply chain, and supply chains are complex, it's impossible to manage, to make it better. When you don't know how much are there, how much are we expected to come, how much will we sell tomorrow, if you want to make it better, uh, th- this data is is a kind of the base to make it better. So, so how can you, you ensure you replenish correctly in a location, or you know exactly what has been sold, what what what, and what do we have on hand? Which store does need more products? Which products are maybe too much in one location? How good is it going on e-commerce and, and all the different channels? So, and, and that's what I said in the beginning. Inventory data is critical, as it it's used in almost all sales processes absolutely it's 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 so fascinating to me i mean it's shocking i didn't realize that the figure was so big so that's food for thought for everybody out there i'm sure but i'm just wondering when you're dealing with brands do you see a common problem like is it often this product is tied up in a particular part of the supply chain is it in a warehouse is it in the store or is it just throughout that you see the issue i would say uh, unfortunately, there is not this one single problem. When you would fix that problem, you're done. That that would be nice. But I mean, these supply chains are very complex. But it's starting, I mean, g- getting transparency into those supply chains should be the first step. 
That's what I said before. You can only make things better when you understand them. So, so to feed your systems with correct supply chain data requires that each product is identifiable. And now I'm really talking about the product, not only a box, a pallet, or a container. Each single product, so you want to identify it, and you want to know where it is at this moment in time. And now you could say, hold on, they have a barcode. There's a, there's a barcode printed on the package of a lipstick if you want. Yes, of course, because it's used at the point of sale um, to, to, for, for the consumer to check out. But, but you want to identify products on the whole supply chain way. So when they're sitting in boxes on the conveyor belt, and you want to do this automatically when they're traveling. And, and, and this is what the RFID technology brings to the table. So nobody has to read it manually, like, you know, a scanner at the checkout. It's read in boxes. It reads when there's 50 or 100 in a box. It's read completely automatically. But each product having a unique identifier and, and, and makes this possible. And, and now people may say, uh, I haven't seen this. Is this really working? This technology has arrived in apparel retail almost 20 years ago. So the technology is mature, that one thing. And because of the high adoption in other retail segments like apparel, um, it doesn't cost anymore so much. So it, it makes perfect sense now for the beauty and cosmetic industry to look into it. Yes, it's interesting. Yes, I'm familiar with your applications in apparel because we've worked with Avery Dennison on that before. Um, and like you say, it's a mature technology now. The cost, I guess, of implementation has come down because you know how to do it. But for those who are listening who aren't familiar with RFID, how does how does it work? How do you use it to pinpoint these problem areas? How do you apply it to that product? Could you just explain that process for us? It would be very interesting. So maybe as a background, um, Avery Dennison is one of the largest RFID provider in retail. In other segments as well, but in retail, I think till today, and this is public data, we have manufactured around 70 billion RFID techs. Why is this number important? So you see, we know exactly what we're doing here. This is the focus of our business. We only do this. And, and, and we deliver quality is one thing, but also constantly innovation to this market. I mean, the, 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 the tech on the product is obviously one key element um, that, that we are delivering. But we started three years ago to also deliver a cloud-based platform to our customers because at the moment you have this RFID tech on the product. So you can say this product is one, two, three, four, five. But with, in combination with our connected product cloud, a system that's called Atma, we are writing the information at critical points in supply chain to this cloud. So you know exactly when was this product made with a timestamp. When has it left maybe a factory? When has it arrived in the distribution center in the UK? When has it arrived in a store? When was it put on shelf? When uh, has the consumer bought it? So you're bringing full transparency in the whole supply chain. And this data can then be used, of course, by the brand, by the factories, but also by other companies in the value chain that has an interest on the data. For example, the transport companies. There, there is a lot of air in trucks that is transported because people don't know how many products do I need to pick up so that you're transporting air. This is not what, what, what you want to do. So there's a lot of benefits that everybody in the supply chain receive that data. And, and at the end of the day, there's two major achievements. 
what our customers getting with having the unique identifier, but also having the data in a cloud system is at first they can give the consumer, us, you and me, complete information about the product, how it traveled, the carbon footprint. And the consumer is asking this question now. And, and even additional information, how to use the product, how can he return it, how can he maybe give it to a recycled chain. So the, and, and this creates trust from the brand to the consumer. And let's be honest, in these days, brands are looking to have more loyal customers and trust is a huge element. So with giving more information around the product, carbon footprint, you are creating this level of trust. But, but the other information, the other benefit our customers getting, having this full transparency in the supply chain enables them to transform their business to become more sustainable. And there's side effects. Other effects are production costs going down because you're producing exactly what you need, transport costs getting down, and, and omni-channel, what's now the, 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 this day sales model, is getting much more efficient. You touched on a couple of things that I wanted to pick up on. Um, the transport one is fascinating. I hadn't thought about that. But, yeah, they're, they're, a lot of people have spoken about that. Transport They are transporting things around in big boxes. There's hardly anything in it. And you are transporting air. It's literally a complete waste of time. But I love this notion that it's a great way of communicating with your customer, providing transparency, transparency to your customer. But I think also in beauty, one of the big issues, and it's a massive issue in fashion and apparel, of course, is this notion of overproduction. And I wondered how people could employ your technology to anticipate demand, understand how much to produce. Because it's that fine balance, isn't it, I think, of having enough product for a good customer experience. Because sellout is good, but it's not great for the customer. Um, But also not producing too much. So how would one employ your technology to try and get that balance? Yeah, and and this is... This is really the core problem to have this balance, right? Not overproduce, but still please the customer. And, and honestly, it goes back to some very base, to one very basic point. Know what you have and know where it is. Then you can understand how much do you maybe need more or do you need to shift the product from a location A to a location B? If you have this transparency, you can much better balance this, not overproducing, but still please the consumer. It's really, it comes back to this basic point. Yeah, exactly. Um, and similarly, you mentioned as well the omni-channel. It, it's, it's, it's about having the right amount of product produced to meet demand, but it's about having that product in the correct channel, isn't it? And being able to move it if you need to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, omni-channel is since a few years they're everywhere, and and we are all consumers. We know exactly what we want. You're sitting in the evening at your at your home. You may browse around your tablet or your phone, and you find a product, and you think, hmm, tomorrow afternoon I'm downtown. I may can pick it up. This is how consumers working today. And let's be honest, this won't go away. It it will change. This is the new standard. This this is why inventory data across all channels is so important. Because you may buy this beauty product net not in the beauty store. You may buy it in an, at a wholesaler in a different location. Or you think, I buy it online. And as a brand, you want to please the customer. And, and, and consumers now wants to have the product quick. Because everybody everybody's thinking, I order it today, so I need to have it tomorrow. So 
with correct inventory data across the whole value chain, the, the DC locations, the wholesale location, your own stores, all the platforms, the ASOS, the Salandos of the world, all the, if you would have this data in one system, you can make a, a client kind of very flexible decision how to please this one single order in a way that it's there very quick, but also very, let's say, cost efficient. But for that, you need, it goes back, you need this inventory data. And it, but that's a beauty. This, this technology provides to brands and, and retailers a huge level of agility and flexibility now. Absolutely. And, and, you know, there are surges and fluctuations in demand according to sort of environmental factors, weather can affect it, you know, I mean, let alone big global events like pandemics, you know. So it's sort of important. You can't really predict that a channel is going to behave the same way year on year anymore, can you? It, it, it changes. So it becomes even more crucial, doesn't it, to become, to have this agility, I suppose. Now, if I am, a, a, if I were a beauty brand, and that would be nice, but I'm not, but if I were and I wanted to work with Avery Dennison, um, is there a, a pro, you know, what's the process like for integrating this sort of system into my workflow? And do I need to be a big company? Can smaller companies do it? I'd be really interested to know. I mean, we have delivered more than 100 projects in retail with RFID. And during this, there's two things. During these projects, we have established a, a, a methodology. We call our, we call it our five step adoption methodology. And the methodology is, is, is good to be used because it has been used hundred times. So it works. We know exactly where are the, the points where we need to be very careful. And, and, and that's one thing. But having delivered over 100 projects, it's also a benefit for our customer because we can share a lot of best practice, what to do and maybe what not to do. But it, it always starts that we, we are analyzing together with the customer in his business how inventory is is managed, how inventory is managed in the supply chain, when it's left the factory, in distribution, when it comes to the store, um, how is it handled in the stores, things, easy things like uh, how often is it replenished from the back room to the front room, because when a dedicated color is maybe out of stock on the front side, very, very often it's still there in the back room, how is the replenishment from the DC to the stores, and, then, and so we're looking into it using our experience from these 100 projects. Uh, a big portion of what we are delivering to customers, uh, change management, because you're bringing a new technology. So you need to keep the, all the em employees in the supply chain, in the stores, in the boat, train them how to use the technology, take maybe concerns away. And, and typically we do this by running a pilot. And a pilot is one or two stores. Uh, where the customer is then using the, the the technology, we are capturing a lot of data during the pilot that after the pilot, and the pilot typically goes maybe something like two months, and then we can go together with the customer, we can go to their senior leadership team and say, look, this is how it was before. This is how it is now. This is the data we have captured. So we're delivering a return of investment study. And, and that's just very, very clearly showing if you would invest this, these are the benefits you are gaining. And it's, again, very basic. The main benefits you are getting is you're selling more because you know what's missing. You know what you, what you have. You know exactly what to replenish. Your customers will be happy and just buy more, and they're getting the product they're looking for. So this whole process, analyzing, training, pilots, may take you 
three, six months, maybe nine, uh, depending on the complexity of the business, the volume, and, and, and. But then after starting implementing is, that's the beauty, the payback is coming from day one. So we're moving from the pilot in discussion quickly into the rollout, and then the benefits, the financial benefits are there. Fantastic. I, you were describing that process, um, the whole analysis process, that fact-finding process you go through with the brands. I just think that in itself must be so valuable. I bet it throws up things they just weren't even aware of. You know, very enlightening process, I should think. Yeah, it's very often people don't know what they don't know. Yeah, right. It's, it's <laughs> the Donald Rumsfeld unknown unknowns, isn't it, really? You said earlier when I asked where the biggest problem was in the supply chain, oh, there's not one thing that you can do that will fix it. It's complex. But if I were to do one thing, <laughs> if I were thinking, oh, I need to sort this out, well, I guess what would be the, maybe not do the one thing, but what would be the first step? No, there, there isn't one, but there is, goes back to one, there's one basic, and that is know what you have and where it is to, 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 make, to make this process better. This means... Use correct inventory data, make each single product identifiable by RFID. Because when you know what you have and what you, what you not have in one location, you, you can better manage it. Very basic. Well, actually, that was very succinct, and I'm pleased to hear it. Um, so anyway, that you, that's so enlightening and so interesting. And I want to thank you for spending the time today to share your expertise. And I'm sure our listeners will find it hugely useful. So thank you. Thank you for the invite. Now, following on from Uva's excellent insight and advice, we're going to speak to the co-founder of one of the UK's most deserving beauty success stories. Balance Me was established by sisters Claire and Rebecca Hopkins in 2005. This brand, now widely available via its own channels and some of the UK's best-known retailers, pioneered the use of natural ingredients that deliver tangible results to the skin. Claire gave up a career in finance to start the brand with her sister Rebecca, who worked for a global beauty giant. Conscious consumption and sustainability were at the heart of the proposition from the outset, long before they became the watchwords they are today. We talked to Claire about how Balance Me works to ensure it minimises its impact on the planet through careful stock control, sustainable and recyclable packaging and ensuring its consumers get the most out of its products and use them to the very last drop. Claire, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to speak to you today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yes, thanks for having me on. What a pleasure. Um, very keen to hear more about I'm very familiar with your brand, but I'd love to hear more about it, and I know so will those people who are listening in. Before we get on to Balance Me itself, can we just get a bit your background in in the in business and beauty before you launched the brand yeah so Rebecca and I and um, Rebecca's my sister founded Balance Me about 17 years ago um, we've been both working in stressful corporate careers I gave up a job as a management consultant and retrained as a yoga teacher took a couple of years traveling around the world and Rebecca was working at L'Oreal and then we just had this light bulb moment um, that there wasn't enough well-being in the workplace. Our first business was an events business. And then we were making our own products in the kitchen. So I've been making my own um, body products since I was about um, 18. Anyway, it sparked an idea when we were giving products away at our events. And we got a call from Topshop who said that they loved what we were doing and they wanted to buy them. 
And so we couldn't sell them at that point because uh, they were homemade, but it just inspired us to go and find a factory. And now fast forward, we've got a really successful skincare and body care range um, selling throughout many outlets in the UK. So Balance Me, as the name suggests, it is, it's a blend of wellness and beauty. What's, tell us, explain the ethos of the brand as it was and as it, as it has evolved to, to this point in time. Yes, yeah, so we really wanted to create products that we wanted to use ourselves, and we're very much cutting edge natural. So years ago, uh, products that were natural were quite gloopy, or it was just a blend of lots of oils with some essential oils inside, so carrier oils like almond oil, and you couldn't get those sophisticated textures that you would get from a synthetic product. So we worked really hard to do that, create amazing aromas, but then put in very high performance scientific actives. And over the course of um, our journey, the chemical companies that provide scientific actives have produced so many more that are um, are natural um, or they come from nature identical sources, but they've been clinically tested to give amazing results. So I would say our brand really differs because it's high performance natural. So all of the, um, we have amazing uh, before and after photos. We panel test every new launch on 100 women and get, we only launch if we get really, really great data that they love the product and it really works. So it's a blend of an amazing, sophisticated texture, aroma, and we work with an incredible uh, perfumer down in Somerset. And then we also care about the performance because there's no point using a product if it's not going to give you amazing results. No, there isn't. And you really were ahead of your time, weren't you? You say you started 17 years ago. The trends that you're discussing there seem very, very current, don't they? Yeah, so it was really important for us to use recycled plastic in our bottles. Um, We didn't go overboard with um, kind of gold embossed lids and all those sorts of things that people saw as very luxurious back in the day. They're now realising, gosh, those just go into landfill. So I think the consumers really sort of cottoning on to large extra um, walled jars and shives and all these other extra things just end up getting thrown away. So we really think about what we um, what we use in terms of packaging and then also the ingredients that we put into our products. You are a B Corp company, um, which is a fairly, I don't know, for want of a better phrase, fairly full on process, isn't it? You have to be really committed to get through that, to get that accreditation. Why was it important for you to do that? Yes, yeah, so B Corp was just really right for Rebecca and me. It really encapsulated everything about our brand. So um, there's some brands that focus on, say, planting a tree for every product sold, or they might focus on, um, you know, one aspect or the whole of kind of the product supply chain. And for us, B Corp encapsulated the whole thing around our brand. So it allows us to make pledges around um, people. So we have um, amazing 20% of our profits go to charity. And um, it then also allows us to um, really focus on our sustainability. So we set pledges around our packaging. At the moment, 96% of all our packaging is reusable, recyclable, from recycled content or reusable. Um, and we're, we're sort of smashing that and going higher and higher. And then it's also about, about balancing profits. So it's people, profit and planet. Wow. So you mentioned earlier that it was Topshop. It was the order from Topshop that 
got the business off the ground properly and that you're now sold through various channels. Could you tell us about those various channels? Yeah, what, where can one buy Balance Me? Yes, yeah, so we've got a very, very strong direct-to-consumer business, so through our own website, and um, we really build up a Balance Me community. So as I said, we really want people to volunteer to test and try our products Uh, And so that's been a very, very successful business for us and is today. We're also in over 260 Waitrose stores. So for us, that was um, an amazing stockist. We started with John Lewis Partnership and it's the one place that we feel our target customer goes to shop every week. Uh, We sell in um, in Whole Foods as well. And then on other beauty websites like Sephora, look fantastic and Amazon as well is really growing amazingly well for us that's incredible isn't it I mean to be in every waitrose you know I mean I, it really is so widely available it must have felt like such a moment when you got that contract it was I think you know when you're um you're working hard on a brand and you know what it's like when you're running your own business and it's it's hard work you do have those sort of really amazing pinch me moments and I remember getting our first opening order from Waitrose coming through and um, yeah it was really exciting. Yeah one of the topics we wanted to explore today was waste. You've talked about how you invest an awful lot of energy into your packaging to ensure that while you retain those strong brand values you don't create anything in excess and all of the materials are sustainable one of the things that we're finding in the beauty industry and is becoming a huge focus right now is waste within the supply chain. So product that doesn't even get to the shelves of Waitrose, for example, for some brands or or gets there and is out of, you know, is out of stock. I know it's not quite as urgent as it might be in food, but you've got various channels. How do you ensure that you're getting the right amount of product into the right channels, that it's being sold in the right order so that you can try and address this problem of waste within the supply chain? So we're, um, I think being a smaller business, we can be really nimble, so we don't overproduce. And we really look at the packaging, first of all, that we're going to use in a product. So our deck cartons are FSC approved card. Um, We use lots of glass. We're using in our plastic um, up to 100% recycled plastic. So for us, it was always a choice um, when we were looking at sugarcane plastic or recycled to use recycled plastic because we're using up plastic that's already in the environment. Sugarcane is from a natural source. So um, the plastic comes from sugarcane rather than petroleum but you're still growing a whole lot of sugarcane in one part of Brazil and it's then being shipped across and it's creating more plastic. So um, it was really breaking down what we were doing um, and also really thinking about how we transport goods around. So making sure that we use sea freight, not air freight, and then really helping our customer understand how they recycle. But to answer your question about stock, we work very closely together we have a a weekly stock meeting and we will look at um, our trends from the previous year we look at having a particular stock cover in the warehouse and we take into account our factory lead times our packaging lead times so that we're um, 
we're putting orders in at the optimal time. Um, we've got great relationships with our suppliers. We've worked with many of them for, for many, many years. And if we're slightly overstocked, we can delay an order or we try to work to bring an order forward uh, whenever we can if we're running a bit low. But it se that seems to work very well, just keeping a really tight hold of it. We're also not precious about products. We really have our favourites, but if a product isn't um, performing as well um, and we're bringing out a new product, or even if we're not, um, we will run the stocks down and, and discontinue it. So we all work in an industry where there's minimum order quantities and so um, there's no point just making a product that's going to sit in the warehouse. And then I think, um, you know, if we have excess stock, um, because we donate 20% of our profits to charity in product, we can always give more to charity. And we also work with different discounters too, if we're end of line, a, a way to sell through, just um, to not have it sitting in the warehouse, hanging around. Yeah, it's heartbreaking actually to think about it, isn't it, at this useful product that some people have and it just uh, it's expired before they've even had a chance to sell it to anybody it's it's such a it's such a shame isn't it yeah it's a real waste and I mean we're lucky that ours have a shelf life of three years because they're all tested for that I think it's much more challenging in the food industry where it's you're working with much shorter shelf lives but yeah we we monitor it very very closely yeah I think you have to know to measure what you've got you have to know what you've got where it is don't you otherwise it's a bit hopeless to even try no it's so true and um i think if you don't do that well i think that can be the downfall of many businesses it's kind of cash flow and stock you have to have a product to sell which we we totally experience you know if we've um we've been in the business for long enough we've got an amazing warehouse now but in um in earlier days where the warehouse might not have worked so well you realize that you're totally beholden if your product can't get out to customers and that was another kind of wake-up call during covid when you know none of us knew what would happen that if the warehouse was to shut down we'd wouldn't last very long imagine i know at least they were managing to keep e-commerce going during that time was, yes uh, exactly yeah i mean it, and it was so interesting that time anyway because it brought to the fore to even the consumer you'd never hear consumers talking about supply chain issues but they all seemed quite savvy on it during covid didn't they they understood that certain products not necessarily yours but uh, from other companies would be stuck in china or they could you know it was it, it really did bring this whole idea into the consumer consciousness didn't it yeah it was a nightmare um, on certain levels because just shipping goods around the world freight went up massively um and then there were massive delays and it was a it was a seller's market so yeah it was a really tricky time and the ports were obviously congested um because for different countries they'd shut down with no notice so um yeah it was it was really tricky and for that time we just had to increase our stock cover and just be really diligent about kind of having a buffer an extra buffer yeah exactly and like you say as a, as a smaller brand I mean, you're a, you're a successful brand but you're a smaller brand at least I, I suppose you could be more nimble and more agile with um, how you manage things yeah it does it does make you um I think we don't want to waste. So we've always been very careful about making sure that we're not just putting product or packaging in the bin. You know, that's that we've, we've, we've always been really careful about that. But then I guess you can be nimble, but also you have to have the cash flow and have a strong business to be able to, to make product more in advance or to put those orders in ahead. 
can we talk about um, waste on the consumer side, actually, because this is a this is a big issue. You mentioned earlier that you help. We'll, we'll start with packaging, and then we'll talk about product. But you mentioned earlier that you help your consumers to understand how to recycle things. How do you do that? How do you um, make that process easy for them? Yeah, so it's really simple. We just um, we put it on our packaging, so on our outer decorative cartons and then on the product itself we'll use triangle symbols which um, if you look them up one to seven they tell you what uh, the product is made out of the packaging is made out of and then it's very complicated in this country because every council recycles different things in different ways but then as long as the consumer then knows okay this is paper this is glass this is um pet this is um you know hdps they know what kind of plastic they've got then that's the starting point so it's kind of closing that loop and encouraging them to recycle because they know what they what the product what the product packaging is made of we also, as I said, use a lot of post-consumer recycled plastic. So our pledge is wherever possible to get it up to 100% in our bottles and um, that are plastic. And then it's important also that we pushed uh, for monoplastics because the more that you um, mix the plastics, the harder it is to recycle. And then a final one is, again, um, lighter colours because it's a bit like glass. If you recycle a brown or a green wine bottle, it's not got as many um, uses afterwards as clear glass and white glass and same with plastic. Good point and I also like the point that you made that sometimes people think because something is made from an ostensibly sustainable um, material be it sugarcane plastic that it is more sustainable than plastic but that doesn't take into account as you said reusing resources that are already in the system and the travel as well. Yeah, I know. It's totally, it, it's it's really interesting. We worked with an expert when we rebranded and made some changes to our packaging. And I just think it's, it's about, one of the big things is just reducing, reducing the amount of packaging that you use. So we stopped putting shives in creams. And with one cream, we used a bamboo stick to take the cream. Um, the, sorry, it's a cleansing balm. We used a bamboo stick rather than a plastic spatula. So it's constantly just being really mindful of do you really need that in there and can we reduce it? So as I've talked about, there's jars. You can sometimes buy a, a beauty product and you undo the jar and actually find that this ginormous jar has got the tiniest little tub inside and it's all just double walled plastic and same with the embossing you know gold and silver and all these fancy lids it kind of might look luxurious but to the planet it isn't luxurious at all because all that's going to do is go into landfill afterwards so it's an education across the supply chain and it's doing what you think is the best possible thing at the time given the knowledge that you have um you know it's a bit like none you know we're all trying to do the best thing but years ago diesel cars were seen was seen as the thing and now it's electric so you've just got to go on the information you've got at the time but make good informed decisions have you looked at things like refillables claire um well yeah and this is interesting so we've just done our first supersize with our best-selling cleanser so we'll see how that goes but again as a smaller beauty brand doing lots of different sizes is tricky because again we're trying to make sure that we keep our stock levels to an optimum so if you've got one product and you're doing it in three or four different sizes you're not kind of um 
selling through as quickly as you'd like. So it, it's always a real um, everything you're weighing up. It's the same as the pouches when we were looking at doing um, with body washes, pouches for refill. A lot of those pouches just go straight in the bin afterwards. And then you weigh up glass and plastic because um, with glass, it's heavier to transport. So it uses up more, um, you know, it uses up, I guess, more fuel to transport it because it's heavier. But then it's easier to recycle. So you've got constant, you know, um, our packaging expert was saying everyone says plastic is the devil. It's actually almost been a self-fulfilling prophecy because it's been so flexible and such an amazing um, kind of thing that was created. People have overused it and used it in the wrong way. And they're not mindful of how they recycle it, as in sort of plastic bags. But actually, if you use plastic and you recycle it properly, then it's not always bad not always the devil it's interesting that as well I, I sometimes look at beauty brands and I stress I am not talking about yours here but you look at their oh well this is refillable and you've got two big things that look similar to me and you think well how can you I mean how can that refill it or it sits in another pot it's all like, oh, just don't have that other pot it doesn't make sense some of the refill proposition just looks as bad to me as just buying another new one so it's, it's often it often doesn't make sense no and if it doesn't make sense that's the best thing as a consumer don't buy it because it's um you know there is a lot of greenwashing out there and it's such a shame but there's a lot of people saying that they're doing great things and sometimes it doesn't add up no no it doesn't the other thing and finally Claire, is is making sure that people use the product they buy um and you know, all of us are guilty, I'm sure, of having bathroom cupboards full of half-used moisturiser or particularly makeup where you use a tiny amount and then, you know, never finish it. And you want to encourage consumers to, to use a product until it's empty. And I guess part of that is making sure they buy something that is right for them, you know, that it is correct for their skin or their needs. How do you make, you know, how do you make sure that you're selling the right product and that your consumers consume all of it yeah so I think that's about really clear information and education on your website which is what we really concentrate on we have very strong customer service and we offer skincare consultations that are completely free of charge so we're not a hard sell brand we want people to come to us discover us and really understand without feeling under pressure what products will work on their skin hence the free skincare consultations and then they have a dialogue with us if something does or doesn't work. Um, but it's very, very rare that because they've actually gone in there and bought the right products in the first place. And then I think it's about having products that are a pleasure to use um, that do really perform and work well. And we've also um, prided ourselves for um, the quality of our ingredients being really excessively priced. So the products last well. Um, they give you great results. So we often find once someone started using one product, they'll move on to others within the range. And then I, I think it's also making sure you're not just um, selling product for product's sake. So a lot of ours are multifunctional. Our hand cream you can use on your feet. Some people will use our body washes and then they'll potentially like... Um, you know, their partner will use it as a bit of a shaving product as well. So it's it's really creating something that fulfills a need and that the customer wants and it gives great results that they don't just use it and give up. 
Yes, I think that's fantastic. I love this idea of multifunctionality. Um, I guess multi-use across the family as well Um, well yeah we also had that was an influencer made a really good point because um this this autumn we're doing skin school so it's very much about educating not just us but our children I've got teen children has as has Rebecca and when we were teenagers we didn't have this this um choice of skincare it was all very much you know, drying up oily skin and making your spots completely like dry out and your skin went into distress and was quite uncomfortable. So we know that a lot of women are having to educate themselves, not just on their own skincare as they kind of go through pregnancy, perimenopause and all different stages of life, but they're then having to learn what's best to use on their teenager's skin. But as one influencer said, her teen boy doesn't necessarily use everything that she gets. So she knows that our products, she can then use it herself and there's no waste yeah that's a very good point I shall investigate that with my daughter she's nearly 12 and I'm finding that her friends they all buy each other skincare now it's a big thing you know for birthday they don't get you know toys or sweets or they they buy each other beauty products and I found that somebody bought her some retinol and I had to take it off her I was like oh my god you don't need retinol you're 12. (laughs) I've had horrible stories where um I mean our ethos is very much about bringing your skin back into balance but there's stories of people you know in their 20s overusing retinol and they don't need it and then their skin goes into distress and then they can't use anything so it's the same with all the masks you know the disposable masks and I just I kind of I, I I give those to charity. I, I don't let my daughter use those because I just don't know what's in them. No, exactly. So it's fascinating, isn't it? And as you said, I mean, the beauty market is booming and there is interest in that next generation, you know, getting younger and younger, the consumer. So yes, yeah. And it's so important at that age because their skin's really sensitive. So we have a lot of mothers who will do skin consultations with their daughters because daughters are really into it. My daughter diligently does her skincare regime and it really helps keep spots at bay her skin's looking really good um, and she understands and she puts the time in but we'll use things like um, salicylic lotions we don't use wet wipes or we don't use masks that are disposable for that reason so you know it's the same you're putting a lotion on your skin you don't need it to become to come in a kind of foil pack that is a one hit that you dispose of you need to use that product every day to get the benefit it's been such a pleasure to talk to you um i love your brand i loved hearing more about it and i think there'll be much for our audience to learn from you so claire we really appreciate it thank you so much oh thank you so much it's been a real pleasure we hope you've enjoyed this special episode of our podcast produced in partnership with our partners and experts in materials and supply chain solutions, Avery Denison. To learn more about Avery Denison Solutions for Beauty Brands, visit its website at averydenison.com. Remember to tune in for more podcasts in the series, which will be dropping throughout autumn 2023. And visit our website at theindustry.beauty to get your daily fix of beauty industry news hear more podcasts and learn more about our live events. Remember to subscribe to our podcasts at Spotify, Apple or your favourite podcast platform to ensure you never miss an episode. We look forward to speaking with you soon.